0: All right. Welcome everyone to APS Radio number 26. My name is Jim Bernica. I'm with my special guest today, Greg Baghdad from Chicago. how are you? Good. Good to see you. Good, good, good. So um, Chicago firefighter, medic, uh, bagpiper, beetle maniac, clinician, author of a book, my my best James Limpton. We're going to talk about the Mental Health May Day that just came out not too long ago. So, first of all, welcome. Thank you to uh, for being on the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I think mental health is a very important thing to address, and I'm really glad you were you reached out and and we're going to have this conversation. Absolutely. So, let's back it way up um, because
0: you know you've done so much. I mean, you're my age little bit more handsome. Um but uh I mean <laughs> I dig I dig the
1: whiskers though. Oh, just,
0: that's well well that's what happens when everybody retires. You know you
1: you start growing that beard immediately, right? I need to get my Robin Williams uh goodwill hunting beard going when I retire. Absolutely. That'd be
0: great. Um so how did you in the first place even become you know part of the Chicago fire department? Let's start let's start there.
1: So I'll take you back even further than that, if you're okay with that. Let's let's do it. Okay, back uh, to the future. Yes, I was when I got out of high school. I was a recluse. I was getting in a lot of trouble, and um, none of it was good. Um, a lot of it involved um, following the Grateful Dead and. There was a band called Fish that I followed for a while, and I got into some substance abuse, which was not very good. I needed some structure in my life in my my late teens and early 20s. And I found a suburban fire department, a volunteer fire department. um, And I ended up going to them and saying, hey, I'd like to be a firefighter. And I heard about that from a friend who was also going through the fire service. And I said, you're going to be a firefighter? He said, I am a firefighter. I said, that's phenomenal. I I can't even imagine. And I said, you must need a lot of college and there's a lot of stuff to do. And he said, no, frankly, it's uh, you take the test and, and sign up and, and then you become a paramedic and a firefighter and you're all set. So it really piqued my interest that he was talking about that because I, I thought it was pretty super cool. I mean, isn't it super cool to be a firefighter, right? Absolutely. So, at least at least initially, correct, correct. Yes. So I went to the volunteer fire department. I it was very bare bones back in the day. It was the Long Grove fire department, fire protection district. Um, there were still farmers that were um, in charge and and taking care of the fire department, and they took a chance on me. And I, I had to shave my beard. And I, at the time I had long hair and I cut it. Yes. Yes. I had, I had, yeah, the
0: I, I asked Greg to send me some pictures yesterday and he did not send any of those old ones. They're all very professional, you know, present day type picks.
1: Yes. Yes. I did have, I would say that I did have Birkenstocks and, and long hair. Um, I did let my freak flag fly. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway so i went to the long fire department and they took a chance on me and it was exactly what i needed um i stopped doing drugs stopped drinking alcohol excessively and it was the structure that i needed um there were some fine fellow firefighters one of the names was mark gates and he was my mentor and he <laughs> It was kind of silly, but he took me through it all. He got me a gym bag and he taught me how to make a bed and um, do drills. And um, as I went through my schooling, a lot of the other guys were a big support, um, and they taught me to be a man. And that was the structure that I needed. So that's where I got my 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 roots from was from the Long Grove Prote- Fire Protection District. That's awesome. Yeah, eventually. I set myself and my sights higher, and I really wanted to do a lot more. So what I did was uh, the city was calling. The city opened up their their list, and as for paramedics, and I don't know if you know this, but in Chicago, we have single role paramedics, which they exclusively do EMS. So they do no firefighting, which is ball busting, and it's it's very very hard work. But I really wanted to be a part of something bigger, so I threw caution to the wind and I put my name on the list and I got hired as a paramedic in 2001. Uh, shortly, uh, I uh, in 2008 I crossed over and and became a Chicago firefighter paramedic, and I've been doing it ever since. That's awesome. So we started our careers kind of
0: parallel. We started pretty much around the same time firefighter medic um when you're doing the medic stuff what schedules what 24
1: 72s so in chicago the medic the ems is uh, 24 on 72 off for fire and suppression it's 24 on 48 off
0: i imagine that extra day
1: he really needed
0: that just to recover
1: from the the beatings right yeah. Oh, there were beatings. Yeah. You went home and you, you took your lumps and a lot of times they wave that rehire flag over you. And that, that's very hard to to either take it or not take it. But when you do take it, you come home and you take your lumps and you go to bed. you you called in your book. You call it blood money. Yes, for sure. For And sure. that is,
0: that is, a, I love that reference. Cause it's, it's true. Like that it's, you know, I think of, And I'm not sure if you're still like this now being a firefighter medic for Chicago, but I know I, I never said no, I took everything. And later on in my career, I was just like, it's not worth it. I'd rather just be home. I don't need the money and I'd rather just the recovery and the family time was more important than me. You know, my priorities changed.
1: Yes. So in the city, the way they arrange their rehires for, for the medics. So they work 24 on and they're off for 72 hours. So one day on three days off. And what they'll do is they'll give the rehire day. And so if I'm on one, they'll give the rehire day on three. So you literally have 24 on, 24 off, 24 on, 24 off, 24 on. So it's very hard. So, and a good portion of that day is spent sleeping. Sure. Yeah, I imagine. I, I
0: got, I'm just curious. Has there ever been any talk about having the
1: firefighters on a similar schedule? So that came up, I want to say in 2006, 2007, and the firefighters knocked it down. They did not want to be a part of that schedule. Yeah, that's
0: that's kind of crazy to hear um I mean I think it works out to where it's about I think nine days less a year working altogether, together and just an extra day to recover do whatever
1: yeah um there's pluses and minuses for both I saw it from uh from being on that schedule and I thought it would be a great idea and for whatever reason the, the union knocked it down
0: right so you know a lot of firefighters
1: have a second job
0: and you know whether whether profession it may be whether it's plumber electrician you went the clinician around where where did that come from
1: so (laughs) um right around 2013 Actually, I'll take you back even further. Once again, history lesson. <laughs> so, um, in August 9th of 2010, my good friend Chris Wheatley died. Um, he was all of our friends that we all came on at the same time. We all had kids together. We all got married together. We all went out to the bars together. We were all coming up through the fire service together. We all, and it was it was fun. We all had a good time, and we were we were loving it. And he was on truck two in Greektown in Chicago. And he responded to a restaurant fire and he ended up um, falling to his death. And it was devastating. It was absolutely devastating to all of us. And we didn't really know or have any avenues to vent or to go to or to help each other out. There was EAP, but it was very inactive at the time. Um, the union had a, a a program, but that didn't come until later. So there was, what do we do? Where do we go? How do we talk to, talk to each other? Um, during this time, a lot of people that I knew wanted to talk and my wife was at the time, she was the EMS coordinator of one of the local hospitals. So she knew she was well-embedded into the the mix of the fire service and she knew everybody and she actually knew Chris before I did she worked with him in the suburbs when she was doing cardiac care um and people started reaching out to us and saying hey can we talk and we had some people over to our house and we we laughed we cried we we hugged and we left they left and shortly after many other people started talking to us and trying to fill the void and deal with the grief. And it was, it was quite sad. Um, Shortly after that, I said to my, I said to my wife, I said, we need help. We need someone to listen to us. We need someone that knows what's going on at the firehouse on the calls afterwards, the social aspects, the, Everything, and I told her I said I want to go back to school, and she said do it, and she gave me one hundred percent full of support. So I didn't. I didn't even have my bachelor's degree. I was. I was. I went to Illinois State University for three semesters, and I had a really good time. (laughs) (laughs) I had a a wonderful time, but I didn't get very few education credits Mm -hmm. out of it. So now here I am, an adult learner. I went to Penn State. And the only time I set foot on um, the campus was was when I graduated because it was all online. So I went to Penn State and took the summer off, and then I went and got my master's degree and then got licensed. I got hooked up with Counseling Center of Arlington Heights. It was ground floor private practice um, with two clinicians, and now it's uh, sprawling um, practice of 15 clinicians. And actually we have our own department, um, which I'm the head of, which is the first responder department and it's phenomenal. Um, yeah. So that brings us to today.
0: So you were, I mean, really kind of peer supporting before there was peer support initially, just having everybody come over and just venting and sharing your feelings and frustrations. Um, I mean, that's what it kind of, what I took it as, is, is just kind of peer support. And you realized you should be able to do this, but do it more formally.
1: Correct. Um, Peer support. And I mentioned this in my book is the art is the, is the tourniquet on the arterial bleed. It's necessary. It's wonderful. When a good peer support program is utilized, it's phenomenal, but people slip through the cracks. And it's not enough.
0: Yes. And I would say uh, a lot of that I think, what I've realized is just because we're really good actors and actresses. We, um, I mean, we can put on a show for 24 hours and leave and become a completely
1: different person when we're off. Yeah, 100%. We... Call that in the, in the business, the clinician business, um, as compartmentalizing. And that's what we do. We compartmentalize it and we put it in a box and we put it in our head and we say, we'll deal with this later. And then we probably don't deal with it. And it may manifest in us as anger. It may manifest in to us as a drinking problem it may manifest to us as violence to our spouse.
0: All that, all that, you're right. I've seen it myself, you know. I don't think you have to be at a huge department to see that. I mean, just, it's, it's everywhere, any department. Now, so you're, you're doing now the firefighter medic stuff. You go, you become a clinician you you do that for a few years and then you decide hey I want to write a book how did that come come about
1: so um <laughs> it's really funny and I have to I have to plug my friend uh Brett Snow um he is he was on he's a retired lieutenant from the Chicago Fire he did Department a lot
0: of the research and development and
1: yeah he's PhD yeah. He, he's um he he wrote a book as well but um I've kind of followed him he does the religious aspect of it he's a minister and I saw what he was doing and speaking at some of the local symposiums and I said that son of a gun's going to write a book about mental health I should be the one to write the book <laughs> so he ended up coming out with a book and it was it was a wonderful book and it was basically about the stories of of writing on the west side as a firefighter I, and I wish it. I think it's called Writing on the West Side, but I do apologize that I don't have the name of it. Um, but his name is Brett Snow. He's he's phenomenal. Um, but I jealousy. I wanted to write that book, so I, I I started writing it, and it. I'll tell you, Jim, it came out of me like lava. It came out of me like lava. It just came out really quickly, and um, I'm glad it did. I'm glad
0: it did. So Brett's book is called Take a Ride on the West Side. Highlights of a two-year journal. There um, you go. So it just came out with like lava. So when you sat down, I mean, was it just boom, I, you know, from your from your head to your fingertips and done, or I mean, outline, uh, I mean, how, I, I'm just curious how it all came about because it it is, it, it's kind of got this flow to it. And it's really almost this, I mean, it's, it's the story of you in a way um, that touches on a lot of these different aspects of our job, but it does it in a very um, kind of chill, just matter of fact way of, of, of how you realize a lot of that stuff through the job.
1: Well, I would like to say what the name of the book is. It's called Mental Health Mayday, A Firefighter's Survival Guide from Recruit Through Retirement. Um, and what I do is I use three voices and I use myself, my my personal voice. I use my firefighter voice and I use my clinician voice, my counselor voice. And I kind of weave a tapestry throughout the, uh, the uh, book Explaining these things, so I may start off with a, a, a little background information on how I how my childhood was, and then I'll wrap it around talking about something that happens in the fire service, what like camaraderie or uh, something along those lines, and then I'll finish it off by using a, a counselor voice and wrapping it all up in a nice little package and tying it with a bow. Yes,
0: so. Um... How long did it take you to to write the whole thing?
1: Six to eight months. Okay. Nice. So um, yeah, um, I did a lot on my on my days off. I did a lot at the firehouse. Um, somebody told a good friend of mine. Um, he's a field chief, Jake Dickman. He told me he said, "Don't write it as one book." he said write it as um chapters each chapter is a story and that really resonated with me it made sense so that's kind of what I did is each chapter is its own story
0: yeah you know it really is it is it is kind of that you know going through rookie school you know getting out there in the stations and just working through it um one of the things and and we talked about it the other night is um your love for the Beatles is all over this, you know, before every chapter you're doing some kind of quote from one of the Beatles songs or one of their own, um, individual songs, solo songs
1: later on. Um, where did that come from? The love for the Beatles. So when I was seven in seventh grade, my childhood friend, Jamie handed me now we had cassette tapes back then remember those i i do i had a bunch <laughs> and he handed me sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band which is one of the beatles records that they made in 1967 and i i i i i laughed because at the time i was record, we, we remember we used to record songs off the radio i do, I think, I do. I think I was recording the bangles or something silly like that, which there is a place, there is a place for the bangles in the, in the discography of life, but it was so much different. And I heard this album and I was literally blown away. Um, Ever since then, I have resonated with the Beatles. I used to go in Chicagoland. We had conventions called Beatlemania. I don't know if it comes by Dayton Mm-hmm. Um and it's just everything Beatles and I would go to that. And um I was also uh, I used to play in rock and roll bands as playing guitar and bass, and I just envied their their je ne sais quoi. It was awesome. It was they were just so creative and so life-changing, and they changed the face of rock and roll 100 percent And it was funny because they started off as this poppy band, who, you know, they love me, Do," And then they became a rubber soul came out and they just changed everything. Yeah, I love that. I love that they came into their own and they said, we're going to do our own stuff and we're going to, we're going to change everything. And I do believe that they're the building block of all rock and roll after that. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, uh, but I mean, even how, You know, when we talked to you the other day, you mentioned how there's there's something for everybody like they I mean, they have such a diverse catalog that covers so many different things. But when you when you looked at it in your own book and you looked at these chapters, it's very relevant to what you're writing. I mean, stuff quotes like, uh, you know, uh, boy, you're going to carry the weight, carry that weight for a long time. That sounds about right for our job you know uh help help me if you can i'm feeling down i do appreciate you being round i'm sorry i'm kind of rapping the beatles i'm not trying to really actually sing them i mean it's they're all over the place but it's perfect you know let it be oh my goodness
1: let's think about the opening of that yeah for sure um i've my whole life has been a uh musical and if my life is a musical then the the background track is the beatles 100 percent.
0: yes and you could do that soundtrack completely of the beatles and and i love that so much um you got me in the mood like i was driving around uh today I, i had to drive to kentucky and i just listened to beatles and i and i realized like there was even other there's other songs that would have been perfect as well like there's just so so much there so much great content it's it, it was a good choice i really i, dug it. It. I really uh, i really truly appreciate it um and there's other references in there too that are kind of like pop culture it's like you mentioned you threw out the thundercats in there you know <laughs> uh <laughs> ghost there's ghostbusters star wars like i'm reading this and i'm personally going all right uh, this greg's a nerd and i like it he's a, he's a
1: hippie nerd uh that's in the pop culture stuff and movies i'm drinking and i'm drinking movies. a cup with a lord of the rings on it i don't know if you see that <laughs> i see it now
0: well in the land of mordor where the shadows lie wondering to rule them all wondering to find them wandering you- to bring them all into the darkness buying them
1: oh i love it i love it
0: I'm, I didn't realize this today too, and I—I I don't know if you can see, but I'm—I'm I'm rocking a Blues Brothers shirt, of course, for you. Course. And I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah, that's terrific. You should tell everybody, like, if they're, oh, you got to mail me something. Okay, it's 1060 West Addison Street.
1: Yes, there you go, Wrigley Field. That's right.
0: <laughs> I should. That is an important question. Are you a Cubs fan or White Sox fan?
1: So my. So I grew up. My brother is three years older than I, and he was a Cubs fan. And I wanted to do everything opposite of him, so I ended up. Being <laughs> a Mexican, so that's fun. Yeah, south side all the way, and I married a a girl from the south side. So she, her whole family is is socks all the way. And actually, a funny story about that is we were in Hawaii. So we got married in on Maui in uh, 2004. And we went back a couple years after that. And one of those years happened to be when the Sox were in the World Series. So we ended up belly, and belly into the bar every night and watching the, uh, the daytime, actually, and watching the Sox game. And the people we were with are like, you're in Hawaii. What are you doing? This is ridiculous. You should be going out surfing and whale watching. I said, the Sox are in the World Series this is what we're watching and they said okay
0: i do the same for my reds but they haven't been in contention or done anything since i was 11
1: so there's that i know it's a um they would call it a chick flick but um have you seen fever pitch Ah, that sounds very familiar It's with uh, Drew Barrymore and um, Jimmy Fallon, right? Jimmy Fallon, Red Sox. Yeah, it was the Red Sox. Yeah, that was.
0: Yeah, that was good. Well, I remember they had to change that because they
1: won. They won. Yes. 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 Yeah, hundred percent. That they changed the very end.
0: Nice. Are you? (laughs) This is so random. Now, are you when you're? when you're talking when you're doing your you know being a clinician like are you are you
1: referencing any of these pop cultures or any of these movies or anything so i wouldn't have a repertoire in my life if it wasn't for adam sandler movies (laughs) (laughs) so i mean that's 60% 60% of my repertoire is, is Adam Sandler references. But yeah, if part of being a clinician is, is being real, it's being, um, developing rapport with your clients. And yeah, are there clients that we can't make these references? 100%. Yeah, we get down to brass tacks, but you can't always make something therapeutic. Sometimes you got to just rap. And some of the things that I like to rap about are the pop culture stuff. You yeah, know? that's great. So,
0: you know, you started, you know, this rural fire department as a volunteer. You became a paramedic. And you got on to Chicago um, as a medic there. Transferred over several years later, firefighter medic, became a clinician. You wrote a book. I gotta ask you, like what's next? Like I feel I feel like you're the type of guy that always has always something is going on. Like I'm always always gonna be busy, always looking to see what's next. You probably wrote this book, I imagine, and celebrated it for probably two days, and then you were like, All right, next project. Am I right or am I wrong?
1: Um, well, I do have to tell you, um, I have to give praise to my, my wife. Um, she, she kind of fell short because the release of my book was right when she was graduating with her master's program. In, and she's, she's a nurse practitioner. She's actually taking her boards tomorrow. And um, I got to give props to her because pretty much the week before she graduated with her master's was my book release. And she's like, can you, can you give me just the weekend. Can you give me a little bit of time to celebrate? So, um, unfortunately, um, that, that she was pushed by the wayside, but her, her, I do have to give her props. Um, both my wife and I are very, very motivated people. Um, we've always strived to, to, to be better ourselves and and continue on with education and make education a priority. And we've instilled that in our kids as well. Um, I have a 16 year old and a 14 year old and they, they're both phenomenal students and um, in their own right, they're very creative and, and they're, we hope that they'll go on and and do wonderful things as well. Um, I don't, see myself staying any longer in the Chicago fire department longer than 2026. And that'll put my daughter outside of high school. So she'll graduate high school. So then she's my youngest. Um, With my wife as a nurse practitioner and me as a counselor, we have intents of moving out of state and moving out west. Um, I'd like to uh, pick up residency and and start anew Um, pick up a a start with a private practice and, and work with first responders out West.
0: Nice. That sounds, that sounds great. Um, You know, a lot of, a lot of first responders move once they retire. And I feel like a lot of it is they just are ready for a change of scenery And that
1: probably, and I'm not, I know you don't, you don't live in a city, right? So all city employees, police and fire and teachers have to live in, in Chicago proper. So we have a residency requirement. Okay.
0: Forgive me. I'm sorry about that. So do you, do you feel like that's part of it is you've seen so much just stuff? Is it, is part of it just, I want to get away? I want to be I don't want to be reminded of bad memories wherever I go.
1: 100%, 100%. And um, Chicago is it, it's not the trajectory of Chicago is not going in the right direction and when we first moved here it was a lot safer than it, it is now. Um carjackings are up, violent crimes are up. But on top of that is we're in the thick of it. We're in the bad neighborhoods where we work. My wife was at Mount Sinai Hospital, which is it was a trauma center in the city, and we just saw a lot of bad, bad stuff. Um, yeah, it would be really refreshing, a fresh start. To, yeah, to
0: move somewhere else. I tried to explain that kind of to my wife, and she gets it, but we got a little kids still. And we've got lots of family around here, so doing that—that that great escape—is not as easy as it sounds, unfortunately.
1: At least for me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's a—it's like taking off a band-aid. I mean, it's a let's get let's get out of Dodge. Let's go. Yeah. I told my wife. I said, "I'm keeping you here for 20 plus years. We're gonna go wherever you want to go," and she chose Arizona. So we're. Most likely going to end up in Arizona. I love Sedona. Sedona's magical. Yeah. Yep. If I had a choice, that's probably where I'd
0: end up. Somewhere around there.
1: Well, maybe. We'll, maybe our paths will cross. Just, just have a spare bedroom for me. There you go. That's all. I just learned that they call them a casita. I just learned that yesterday. Nice. Yeah. It's like a little, little, we call them mother a mother-in-law in Chicago. It's like a little separate area.
0: Yeah. Well, let me ask you, you know, I've kind of I skipped ahead. I, I, I do want to go back. So you go to school, you become a clinician. How was that received
1: uh, throughout your department? So my people of my whole life have always talked to me they've always gravitated to sharing stuff with me. It's just, I don't know if it's because I'm an extrovert. I don't know if I'm easy, a good listener, probably a combination of the two, but people would come to me and talk to me. Um, When I first started my practice, I would, so I'm sure most firehouses across the nation are the same, but after after dinner, we all go to the apparatus floor or sit outside in front of the, with the bay doors open and, and drink a cup of coffee or tea um, and rap about the world. And that's where it all began. People started talking to me and um, shortly they would say, they would open up to me. And at the end of it all, I would hand them my card and say, Hey, I just want to let you know, I'm a therapist. And if you ever need someone to talk to, I'm, I'm there for you. And of course, I wouldn't out them. I wouldn't confidentiality is I wouldn't have a business if it wasn't for confidentiality. I I have to make that a premium in my in my business and my life. Um, Because I work with a lot of these people. Uh, um, I may see them at the next firehouse, I may see them at a fire. And it's, very inappropriate to talk about what we talk about there. And I would always say to them when they left my office, if you hear, if someone finds out that you're here, it's not because of me. And that buy-in is huge. It's huge. And it's one of the main reasons, because you know, the stigma, we have that huge stigma that you, you're you not allowed to go see, seek help. And although it's breaking down, which I'm really grateful for, um especially within the last couple of years um I think it's I think it's wonderful um but just sitting and waiting in the wings and kind of letting people come to me and talk and and you know I've had times where guys will guys or, or gals will they'll put their toe into the water and they'll say so you're a therapist huh And I'll say, yep, I sure am. And then they'll walk out of the room and then they'll come back in and they'll say, oh, you wrote a book, huh? I'm like, yeah, it's on Amazon if you want to check it out. I have one here if you want to check it out. Yeah, let me take a look. And then I'll walk out of the room and they're reading it. And then after dinner, hey, so I got this problem that I'm dealing with. Um, Can I bend your ear? Sure, let's talk about it. Um, And that model is, it's worked. It's worked tenfold and now it's to the point where at my practice um and I have a director that's phenomenal Tammy Nowak she's phenomenal and she's allowed me to grow this practice as as large as I want it to be so I told her I said I want an intern I want somebody to learn learn the basics and come up through this so she we got an intern I um I said, "Well, now I need I need a a seasoned clinician," and she said, "Bam, you get a seasoned clinician." So now I we're a team of three right now. I, the practice has covers everything. It covers addiction. It covers family. It covers children, adolescents, but our little division is growing exponentially, and it's I'm very proud of it. It's awesome.
0: Well, let me let me ask you this: um, you were doing this job firefighter paramedic over 20 years so you've got your own stuff your own history plus now you're also getting all this vicarious or secondary just from listening to all these other responders how how do you deal with things how how have you been able to cope with just
1: everything that you end up listening to so, although confidentiality is 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 in place, but um, I do lean on my wife, and I don't share any of my information with my about that. But I do call, talk about my emotions with her, and she's able since she's in the business, she's able to give me the support that I need. Um, also, we have weekly uh, supervision at my at at my office, so we all get on, we do a Zoom session. And we talk about caseloads and, and, and how we're feeling and how we're handling it. And that's weekly um, with people in the business. And it's nice. It's, it's a good support. And I'm really happy that, that, that that's available. Um, i my director. I've gone to a couple couple times for um, um, sessions to, to process some of the information that I have. Um, while I was writing my book, Um, I was really stressed out and I was having some issues. Uh, I forget exactly what it was. It doesn't really matter. And then we had a shooting at, um, in the city, my engine responded to a a shooting. It was on Halloween and there were eight to 10 people that were shot. Now I've seen this scenario probably a dozen times, but this one affected me. And that's kind of how the business works. It doesn't affect you until it affects you. And I called up my director and I'm like, hey, I'm really struggling. I don't know what's going on with me. I'm trying to write this book and I'm dealing with this caseload. And I had the shooting and she stopped and she said, hey, tell me about the shooting. Did you ever process the shooting? And I said, no, it, it's fine, Tammy, it's fine. I do this all the time. She said, process the shooting with me. And I sat, to, I called her up and we talked and we we actually fleshed out what happened, how I was feeling, how um, I felt that the the call went. And afterwards, I felt like a million bucks. So it was really nice to have that support that's built into my practice that allows me to, to, to do that.
0: Well, and I liked how she was, she picked up on it and wasn't going to just let
1: you let you go. So that's the interesting thing is in the fire service, it may not affect you right away. It may not affect you your whole career, but one day it may affect you. And I know you read my book and I know you remember the firefighter that, that it did affect. I don't know. I don't want to put you on the spot, but the story was um, we, I was on the ambulance and we responded to uh, a rape victim and the medic on the engine was a seasoned fire. He was a firefighter's firefighter. He was phenomenal. I've known him for decades and he was stone cold, man. And he was wonderful, great teacher to me, too. He basically said, um, he said to me, "Um, I want to write along with." so i um, he wrote along with, and it affected him. It affected him tremendously about about this girl. And he held her hand and he took her to the hospital. And afterwards, he said to me, i said, what what happened with this with this?" Uh, girl, what? why did you respond the way you did? And he said, it was her socks. She had Mickey Mouse socks on. And that's what my daughter had. So it can affect people at any moment, any moment at all. And that was it for him, was the Mickey Mouse socks. Yeah. Yeah,
0: no, I remember that. That's, that's
1: again, more powerful stuff.
0: Wow. Well, Greg... I can't thank you enough for making time for me to, to share your story, to share your book, everything with all my viewers and listeners out there. One more time, Mental Health May Day, a Firefighter Survival Guide
1: for, from Recruit Through Retirement. Yes. You can get it on Amazon. Yeah, you can get it on Amazon. Um, you can also get it on barnesandnoble.com. And uh, it's published by MSI Press. Perfect all right well hey thank you again so much uh for
0: writing this so everybody has you know almost a guidebook now really start to finish of what you're probably going to be dealing with and if you don't deal with it throughout your career that's awesome but by reading this you're at least going to be aware of kind of what to do afterwards you know this is kind of the playbook that you wrote and that's kind of probably why you, you wrote it
1: right For sure. For sure. Um, The way I look at it, it's the primer for any firefighter or paramedic that's getting on or is in the job or um, is thinking about retirement and what to do. Um, The last thing I wanted to say was, you know, a lot of literature out there gives awareness for what to do in most situations. But I do feel that I give uh, solutions to those situations
0: that's right you know this may be the problem but this is
1: how to handle the problem and i think you did that really really well in this book thanks jim thanks for having me on i really appreciate it yeah absolutely so
0: we'll get out of here he's greg i'm jim and we're out of time this one until he writes the sequel That's probably next. Ne- until next time <laughs> all right